Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Bradley, are we online, sir? All right. Well, everyone in-house, say good morning to everyone online. Good one more time. Good and then one happy Easter. Happy Easter. Wow, y'all catch on quick. Y'all are awake this morning. That excites me. Don't get me too excited. We might be here a little while. I'm just joking. I will have you guys out by like 11, and then you'll beat everybody to Easter lunch, and then you'll be happy. You'll hear about Jesus and then have a full stomach. What is better than that? Well, good morning, everybody. It's an honor to have you with us on Easter Sunday, also known as Resurrection Sunday. And today we celebrate the fact that Jesus has risen. We celebrate the fact that he has defeated death. And in church tradition, Easter, also known as Pascal Sunday, has always been a day of celebration for those who believe in Jesus and those who don't yet to celebrate the fact that even when we die, we won't taste death because he already did. And so today, I'm not necessarily going to try to prove to you that the resurrection happened. I don't believe that that's my job this morning. But I want to tell you a story. And as a good mentor of mine, Paul White says, Paul White says, tell a really good story and make Jesus the star. And so today, my, my goal is to tell you a good story about why Jesus had to come, why Jesus needed to come, and why he did. And then to tell you why he's the superstar of this story. But in order to adequately do that, I want to start in the beginning. And I, I like to take the long way around, so hopefully it's not too long, but here we go. In the beginning, God, the Holy Trinity, who has always existed together, brings forth life from the soil. He brings forth man, and he names him Adam, which means human. So he brings forth the first human, and he creates for him a wife, and he places these humans in a garden. Now, a garden was literal, literal but also symbolic. Gardens represent wholeness. So he creates these humans in a state of wholeness and places them in a place of wholeness that he had planted in a place called Eden. Eden means pleasure. So God cre creates these creatures and he calls them good and he puts them in a place of wholeness and a place of pleasure. So what does that tell me? God truly believed that his creation was good, so good that he put us in a place of wholeness and a place of pleasure. And from the beginning of this story, we can start to see God as a literal and spiritual gardener. Not only did God truly bring forth life and create a garden, now he puts humans in a place of a spiritual state of a garden, and he gardens the soul, and he makes sure they're whole, and they're, and they're in pleasure, and he cares for his creation. So we start to see God as this theme of a gardener. And so the humans are placed in this garden in Eden, which once again represents complete wholeness. These humans are created in a place of complete wholeness. There's nothing broken. There's nothing missing. And they're in a place of absolute pleasure. And they're given one rule, or you can call it a law if you'd like, because only where, where rules are given can they be broken, and only where laws are given can sin enter the picture. So God gives them this one rule, this one law, and he says, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Many of you have heard this story many times in your life, and he gives them this one command, and he warns them, surely if you eat of this tree, death is the outcome of what is to come. And then here comes one of the most epic scenes in Scripture. Here comes this little serpent into the garden, and he finds Eve. He finds the woman, and so he starts speaking to her, and he says this, has God really said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Eve replies with what exactly God told them. 
And the serpent says to her, you certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. So what was this temptation? The temptation in itself was to become divine. It was, it was to become as God is. And so he starts saying, you can become as God is. God just doesn't want you being like him. There's a fear there. But what Eve should have reminded herself is, is that God already made her in his image and likeness. God already made Eve like himself. And in this moment, she's tempted. And she eats and Adam eats and their eyes are open and the immortal becomes mortal. The whole becomes broken and pleasure turns into misery. And in the matter of a moment, we can see how the human soul can indeed be a garden or a graveyard. It can be a place of wholeness or a place of brokenness. And the story continues. And then God as Father does one of the, what I believe, one of the most beautiful and merciful acts in all of Scripture. He saves them from themselves. You see, God does not send them out just because they sin. God sends them out because if they eat from the tree of life, they will stay in that condition forever. And if you don't believe me, let's read Genesis 3.22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out with his hand and take fruit also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So why does God send Adam and Eve out of the garden? He sends them out so that one day he may save them. And so in an act of mercy, in an act of love, he sends them out of the garden with a plan that one day, one day he would restore them. And their lives that were once spent in a garden, a place of wholeness, in Eden, a place of pleasure, and now it would be spent in a graveyard. It would be spent in a place where mortality now reigns and the immortal has been mortal. The whole has become broken. Pleasure to misery and the cycle of humanity begins. Sin and death reigns. Wow, that's a really happy story, huh? That, that is a really happy story. <laughs> Romans 5.12 tells, tells us this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all sinned. Verse 14 says this, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. And this is the cycle of humanity. We see it again and again. Everyone dies. The one thing we as humans all face is mortality. We will all face death. We may not all face it the same way, but we will all face it. And this is the cycle of humanity. War and violence and death. War and violence and death. And sin abounds, and so therefore death abounds. And it's this never-ending cycle. And the Father sent them out in order to save them, but for a while there, the world does not look like it can be saved. And I don't know about you, but I've seen some hard stuff in just my life. Anyone ever seen hard stuff in your lives? Everyone ever seen things that look dead and broken? Yeah, amen, everybody. But this is the beauty. In Galatians 4.4, 4, it says this. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent his son, born of a woman. John 1.14 tells us this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John 3.16 through 17. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send, send the son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The same God who put his hands in the dirt to create a garden, the same God who put his hands in the dirt to create man now clothes himself in that same creation. 
The creator now becomes the creation, fully creator, fully creation, fully God, fully man. Jesus, God incarnate, is sent into the world. The Messiah poem in Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says it this way. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And this Jesus, this God incarnate, willfully leaves the garden to enter the graveyard. He leaves the place of wholeness. He leaves the place of pleasure to come to the place of death to come to the place of misery, and he leaves that place for me, and he leaves it for you. And in this Jesus, this Jesus, fully man, fully God, the power of creation life dwells within inside this Jesus. And everywhere this Jesus starts to walk, the graveyards start to become gardens. You see, Jesus comes into contact with broken people, and these broken people leave made whole. Jesus comes into contact with people who are oppressed, and they leave set free. Jesus comes into contact with people who are possessed, and they leave delivered. He encounters sin, and the person leaves forgiven. Yes, Jesus had the ability to forgive sins even before the cross. He encounters death, and the person leaves alive because the power over death already existed inside the body of Christ. I'm going to say this again. Everywhere Jesus walked, the, guard, the graveyards become gardens. Everywhere that there is brokenness, everything that is distorted, Jesus comes in and everywhere he walks, he starts to put the pieces back together. There are people like lepers who were dis- discarded by their families who come to Jesus seeking wholeness. And while everyone runs from them, Jesus stands there. And in that society, as a leper, they would wear a bell like a dog. Because they were unclean. No one could get near them. So when you heard the bell ringing, it wasn't your pet fufu. It was a person with leprosy. And so they'd come walking through, and everyone would start shouting, unclean, unclean. And as a leper, you were cast away from your family. You lost your wife. You lost your children. And here comes this man, and the Red Sea has parted of humans. And here comes this man down the middle, and he looks at Jesus, and he says, Lord, please, if you are willing, please make me whole. And Jesus doesn't just stand there from a distance and say, be made whole. Jesus goes to this brother. Jesus embraces this brother with a hug, a number one no-no. He hugs him and he says, I am willing, be made whole. No one who ever came to Jesus left the same way that they came. No one. Jesus comes to the man in the Gadarenes who had a legion of demons inside of him, which is a wild concept. And this man had cut himself and beat himself. They would chain him up and he would break free. And Jesus comes to this man who, the, who society considered outcast, would cast him away, did not know what to do with this man. And then here comes Jesus. <laughs> you see, I love this about Jesus because Jesus never gives up on anybody. The ones in society, the ones in your family that you give up on, that I give up on, that we deem worthless or can't be used, Jesus comes to those people because Jesus is always for the broken and the marginalized. And he comes to this man and he sets him free, but those in society didn't want Jesus to stay there, so they outcast, society, outcast him out of society because Jesus is not popular with the in crowd because Jesus does not come for those who the world deems worthy. He comes for those that the world deems unworthy. He comes for the ones that the world deems broken. And Jesus walks this earth in midst the graveyards 
and they start to become gardens. The same God who brought forth life in the beginning enters his own dying creation and brings forth new life. And Jesus starts to make statements like this in John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see, the life that was in Jesus was manifested to everyone he was able to come into contact with. But that power that was inside of him was much bigger than just a man, the body of the man that Jesus was now walking in as fully human. It had to be unleashed. And so Jesus starts telling his disciples, there's a day coming soon that I will have to die. Now, they obviously didn't believe him because after he does die, they don't, they don't comprehend what he was trying to tell them. But this power that is in, within Jesus has to be released. And Jesus knew he must die because he knew what it meant for the whole of humanity if he did. This power that was inside of him had to be unleashed. And Jesus' journey continues, and it takes him to the Garden of Gethsemane. And just like Adam and Eve, who were, who were faced with a choice, a temptation in the garden, Jesus is now faced with a very similar temptation in the garden. He's tempted with the act of retaking his divinity. And in the garden, he's struggling whether or not he wants to go to this cross. Father, please, if you can take this from me, please take this from me. I don't want to go into this. I know what it means. I know the tortures that await me. I know the horrible fate of what's coming. But you see, Jesus comes to a conclusion that Adam and Eve could not. Jesus says, but Father, even if not, I will take the cup. And so Jesus is struggling in this area, struggling. He could retake his, his divinity, and he could leave this graveyard and return to the garden. He knows a ruthless and horrible death awaits him. He knows the mockery and shame that awaits him. He knows the betrayal from those closest to him that awaits him. But he also knows what awaits him if he, man if he doesn't die. He knows that sin and death will continue to rule over his good creation. And I believe that when he's in the garden, I believe the garden serves as a reminder. A reminder of how he used to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. That garden reminds him that at one point he and Adam would walk in perfect, perfect harmony, perfect communion with nothing, nothing hindering the relationship. And I believe it was in that place, in that garden where Jesus really comes to, to remember what he used to be like with Adam. And in the face of agony and in death, he chooses us and he chooses the cross. And unlike Adam and Eve, he, defends, he defeats the temptation and chooses the father, which means choosing the cross. And upon the cross, before he took his last breath, he shouts out to Telestai. And y'all, this is where it gets exciting. This is all background leading up to where we're going. Jesus shouts out to Telestai, which means it is finished. Now, what does this mean? First off, it means that he fulfilled everything that needed to be done according to the Father. And he absorbs the sin of the world into himself. And with his death, so died the power of sin. But this is what really gets me excited. God's wrath was not upon the Son. God's wrath was not poured out upon the Son. God's wrath was against the sin that harmed humanity. And upon that cross, Jesus takes sin hostage in his body. Jesus draws the sins of the world unto himself, and sin can go nowhere. It's been dragged by divinity. It's been dragged by God himself into the body of Christ. And when Jesus breathes his last breath and says, it is finished, he drags sin, kicking and screaming, down to the grave with him, and there sin stays. <laughs> now that, that to me is exciting. Because the day that looked like the most bleak day to ever exist 
was a day of victory, was a day of freedom, because sin could not stand a chance against Jesus. And God did not brought his wrath upon Jesus. God did not kill Jesus. Humans killed Jesus. God killed sin. <laughs> Jesus took sin hostage and dragged it into death. You see, Jesus dies and he's placed in a tomb, but the beauty of Jesus' grave, <laughs> it was in a garden. This is not done by coincidence because where we think things are dead, Jesus is always bringing out life. <laughs> and Saturday comes. It's Saturday and panic and chaos ensue. It's Saturday and all seems hopeless. It's Saturday and all is quiet. But here comes Sunday. You see, the Father is not in a rush. The Father grows things. Jesus tells us in John 15, 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And this gardener had a plan. This gardener had a plan to bring forth life from the dead land. And in John 20, we see a story. Mary goes and she goes to the tomb. And the other disciples had come and they had seen and they had seen it was empty and they all had assumed that someone took Jesus' body, that something had happened. And Mary stays by the tomb and she's weeping and she's crying. And someone behind her asks her, woman, what's wrong? And she says, they've taken my Lord. And in the moment, she, she doesn't know who's talking to her. And she makes a very interesting assumption in verse 15, she assumes that Jesus is the gardener. <laughs> and once again, this is not a coincidence because life existed inside of Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings life into existence. So was she mistaken? No, she knew partly who it was. She didn't realize it though. She mistakes Jesus as a gardener and he calls out her name, Mary, and she turns and she sees Jesus and she grabs onto Jesus. And verses 16 through 17 say this, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. You see, Jesus told his disciples why this had to happen. Jesus was the seed that had to be planted by the gardener. Jesus was the seed that had to be planted in the earth in order for what was truly inside of him to come out and be unleashed in the earth. That power that existed in Jesus, that life-giving, life-creating power that was inside of him that could only impact one by one whoever he came into contact with, when that seed was planted into the ground, that power bursts forth into the earth and what used to be a large, large, large graveyard is now becoming a garden slowly but surely. And that power that manifests out of Jesus starts to grab dead things and make them come alive, you see? Because the seed had to be planted. It had to die. And in death, he was freed from his mortal body. And the same life-giving creation power that once birthed the earth has now re-entered the earth and brought forth rebirth. You see, Jesus died as humanity and for humanity. He tasted death for us, but he defeated death with his divinity. You want to know why? Because death cannot swallow divinity. Death could never hold Jesus. It was never capable of holding him back. So why did Jesus die? Jesus died for you. 
Jesus died as you. Why? Because if you died, you were staying in the grave. But Jesus knew if he died, he would rise again. Jesus died so you would never taste death. Jesus died because he was the only one who could then come back from the grave. So why did Jesus die? Not because God hated you. Not because God was mad at you. Not because God's wrath had to be poured out on humanity. But Jesus died for you. Jesus died because your only outcome was a graveyard. But his intentions for you were always a garden. You see, because this world will cause you in your inner being to become a graveyard. It'll cause you to be broken. It'll cause you to fall apart. But the fact of the matter is God made you for wholeness. God made you to live in a place of rest and pleasure. And so Jesus came to restore the garden that had been turned into a graveyard. So why did Jesus take death? Well, because Jesus wasn't afraid of death. John 10, 17 through 18. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. Why did he lay it down? To take it right back. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it back. Death may have consumed the physical body of Jesus, but the divinity that was within him always had the power over death and the ability to bring forth life. The Messiah poem in Colossians 1 continues to tell us this, that Jesus is the firstborn among the dead. What does that mean? That means Jesus is royalty among those who come back. What does that tell me? Jesus is the king and he is the Lord of the living and the dead. Nothing can separate us from him because now he has taken the power of sin and the power of death and nothing holds us back from the Father. But not only did he raise himself, but he brought others with him. In Matthew 27, 52 through 53, it says this. Also, the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to him. And the beauty of this is, is that early church tradition tells us that Adam and Eve were the first people he pulled out of the grave. You want to talk about full circle? Church history tells us that the first people to be resurrected from the dead with Jesus were Adam and Eve, the first ones. So what does that tell me? God's plan to redeem them happened. God's plan to restore the garden from the graveyard has happened. It is a present reality that Jesus has restored the garden and all things have been made whole. He is alive and death is defeated. He is alive and sin no longer rules. He is alive and his life-giving spirit has been poured out on the earth. But not only has physical death been defeated, now his life-giving spirit comes into our spirit. And our spirits, which once, which once were dead and broken, now have the ability to come to life again. So not only is there a physical resurrection to come, but Jesus is resurrecting people even now. Even today, even some of you today will be resurrected in your spirits, crossing over from death to life. Because not only will we literally be with him one day, but he is resurrecting even now. And I believe that resurrection has been taught as a future event so often that we don't realize that the same way that the cross is a reality now, resurrection is now a reality for us. And you see, the Christian faith is not just... just Hinge on the crucifixion, because if Jesus stays dead, then death is not defeated. If Jesus stays dead, then sin has not been defeated, because sin killed Jesus instead of Jesus killing sin. Because then sin would have dragged Jesus into the grave and kept him there, not vice versa. 
our faith, the Christian faith, does not just hinge upon the crucifixion of Jesus, but it hinges upon the resurrection of Jesus, that because he rose, he is victorious over all things. And this is why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, because our, our Savior did not die and stay in the grave. Our, our Messiah died and he rose again. He rose again for me. He rose again for you. And the hope that we now have is not just in a day to come where we are resurrected with him again. But my hope is in the fact I have a living hope in Jesus. And my hope is that every day I live, I'm being restored day by day by day by day. And every day I live, I'm able to face a new resurrection. I'm able to experience a new resurrection in my life. That things that were once dead, he now brings alive. Relationships I never thought could come back alive, he brings to life. Those things in me that have died, the lust, the anger, and the rage, he now brings to life and gives me joy, peace, and self-control. And these things that were broken inside of me, these things that had died inside of me, he breathes new life into me day by day by his spirit. And day by day, we face a resurrection. And resurrection is not just a future event. Yes, it is, but it's also an event for us to experience now. The same way that the cross, he died on the cross for sins, past, present, and future, the resurrection is now for all of eternity. That life begins now. Life does not just begin when you take your last breath and enter eternity, but life is now and life is to come. 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, to a living hope that through the resurrection of Jesus, Christ from the dead. He has restored the garden and life reigns. He has restored the garden and wholeness abounds. He has restored the garden and all things are made new. Romans 5, 17. For by the offense of the one, death reigned through the one. But much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive. He turns graveyards into gardens. He restores and redeems all things. Resurrection is our reality now. Resurrection is the reality to come because he is alive. See, there's an instance in John 11. We're closing, I promise. And look, it's not even 11. You're welcome. You are welcome. It's still breakfast time. Wow. Y'all could go to McDonald's and probably get a biscuit. You know what I'm saying? Who says we can't have fun in church? I think Jesus liked to have fun. But in John 11, we have an instance where Lazarus dies. A lot of you probably know the story. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. I don't do it justice the way some teachers do. They just expound on that. It blows my mind. But I'm not trying to teach you. I just want to talk about Jesus. And so Lazarus has died, and Jesus waits four days. And he goes, and he's there, and Martha is obviously upset. And she says to him, Lord, if you would have come sooner my brother would not have died. My brother would have been made whole. And in the midst of this pain and brokenness that she's facing, her brother just died. In this midst of pain and brokenness, Jesus asked her this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And my question to you today is, do you believe this? Do you believe that because he rose, you will never taste death? Do you believe that because he rose again, now that dead things inside of you can come to life again? Do you believe that he can restore the broken things? Do you believe that he can, he can reconcile things back together? Do you believe that Jesus was who he said he is? That Jesus walking as son of God amidst the graveyards that we saw life burst forth? Do you believe this?
Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that upon that cross he absorbed sin into himself and drug it down to the grave, that sin would stay there? Do you believe this? Do you believe that three days later he rose again, taking back his life, as he once said, to reign victorious over death, now that death no longer has a hold on you? Do you believe this? Do you believe that one day you will be with him and you will never truly taste death because he did for you? Do you believe this? If you believe this, I want you to stand up and get excited because he has risen. Come on, let's celebrate. Man, if there's anything to be excited about in the Christian faith, it's the fact that he has risen. The fact that you never have to taste death. This is something to get Christians excited for. Because no matter what happens to us in this life, nothing takes us from his hands. That nothing separates us from his love. He came because of love. He came because the Father so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That we may not perish but have everlasting life. If that's not something to be excited about, I don't know what is. That can get a Lutheran shouting. That can get a Presbyterian, a Baptist shouting. That can get anybody excited. Because anyone who believes in the name of Jesus shall rise again with him and experience life here and life now. I got my Baptist friends back here, and they're laughing because they're like, amen, brother. And this is what today is all about. Celebrating Jesus celebrating what he has done and celebrating the fact I can now live in the reality of what he has done. And for those of you who don't yet believe in this, I believe that you'll come to, to that point. I believe Holy Spirit is working in your hearts even now. And I believe that resurrection is gonna happen in your life in the very, very, very near future. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what this day symbolizes. It's a day of life a day where dead things come out of the grave and are restored and renewed and given new life. And Jesus, I just pray right now for resurrection now and resurrection here, that souls would cross over from death to life, that things that were once dead inside of us would come alive again. The brokenness would become whole. Oh, Lord Jesus, I just pray that right now, that brokenness would become whole. Those things that have happened to us have caused us to go into the graveyard of anger and rage and lust and malice and these things, I just pray, Jesus, that you would resurrect us even now. That we would walk in newness of life even today with the hope, with the living hope that one day we would be resurrected with you again. And Jesus, we thank you and we honor you for what you've done and we live in the reality that resurrection is now and resurrection is to come and that Jesus, you have defeated sin, death, and the devil. You came for this purpose, to drag sin into the grave, that it would stay there, to come alive again, to defeat death, and then to destroy the works of the devil you were manifest. And Jesus, we thank you that we are not able to live this victorious life. I'm going to say it again, victorious life. We live in life, not death. And I'm believing things are coming alive even now. Because Jesus, your power stretches throughout all eternity. And because you died and that power was unleashed out of you, it has covered the entire world. And slowly but surely, this graveyard is fully becoming a garden. We thank you for restoring all things. We thank you for the objective truth that the garden has been restored. We thank you, Father, that your mission and your rescue mission has come to pass, that we now live in perfect relationship with you, with Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit. We love you, Father. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. 
Thank you all so much for joining us this morning. It's always an honor to celebrate Jesus with other saints, with other believers, but also with those who haven't come to a point of faith yet. And I say it that way because I have a hope that you will. And I have a belief that you will come to know the Jesus that loves your very souls. Uh, you want to give information for the Easter egg hunt? Well, what a great message. I, I hope you agree. I hope you agree.